Welcome to the second season of the PEBC podcast. My name is Michelle Morris-Jones, and I will be hosting our series on phenomenal teaching. In season two, we will take a deeper dive into how the strands of the PEBC teaching framework, planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment, cultivate student agency, equity, and understanding for each and every student. I am honored to share these conversations with authors, classroom teachers, education leaders, and staff developers with you. Today's episode is sponsored by Pinnacle Assurance, Colorado's trusted workers' compensation provider. Thank you so much for listening in. Today on the PEBC Phenomenal Teaching Podcast, I am diving into the art of argument writing and the craft of teaching argumentation with PEBC staff developers Annie Patterson and Stevie Quate, along with PEBC lab host Elisa Wills-Keeley. This trio brings a wealth of experience to their work with students and adults. Today's conversation really highlights the importance of planning for purpose, people, and process, along with the workshop model. As described in the PEBC, teaching framework within Wendy Ward-Hoffer's Phenomenal Teaching. So let's start off with some introductions. Annie, tell us a little bit about your role at PEBC. In my capacity as Senior Director of Ed, um, I get to facilitate institutes and seminars, and I also have the joy of working and coaching alongside amazing teachers and leaders in local and national uh, PBC projects, and I'm so excited to be here with you guys today. Oh, I am so excited to see you, Annie. This is going to be a great conversation today. Let's turn it over to Stevie. So, Stevie, you are used to traveling the world with your work. How about you? How are you? And what kind of work are you up to these days? Oh, my gosh. So PEBC is keeping me busy. Um, I get to work with some wonderful schools uh, around the Denver area, but I'm still doing some of the international work. I'm just not getting on a plane and going there. So I'm on Zoom for hours, oftentimes starting very early in the morning because the schools I work with overseas, there's eight to nine hours difference with that. So I get to coach teachers, do virtual workshops, um, and partner with Annie and Elisa on some really cool projects. Oh, I'm so glad you're here today. And I know Zoom has been keeping you busy, busy lady. So Elisa, you have found yourself back in the classroom and you are just loving your time with students this year. year. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about what teaching looks like and feels like for you this year? Well, I will say different. (laughs) And um, I am teaching online and so virtually. And so teaching and learning feel quite different for me than what I have experienced in my past teaching students in person. But I will tell you with the change and um, with the new newness of it all for me is that there's some excitement because it's so challenging for myself. And I've learned so much around digital learning, um, around student engagement and how to really explore that with students, especially when uh, I have I see them through a screen. Absolutely. So. Well, it is a pleasure to have all three of you here today on the podcast, um, you know, connecting virtually like we are. It just warms my heart to see all of your smiles and to hear your voices. And I cannot wait to talk about argument and argument writing today. Um, So I was kind of getting ready and doing my prep and I started Googling argument quotes because I thought, oh, I'll start off the podcast with like something pithy and great. And what I found was 
really negative, that they were quote after quote was about the negativity around arguments and arguing and how it's really terrible for mankind. And I was like, well, that is not going to work. So then I went to the dictionary and I looked up argument and this was the definition, an exchange of diverging or opposite views, typically a heated or angry one. I was like, oh, this is not good. And the words that came up for synonyms were things like quarrel, disagreement, squabble, spat, shouting, slanging match, ding dong. And then I also saw exchange of views, discussion, and discourse, which helped me feel a little more hopeful. And so then I started thinking about growing up with my dad. My dad loved to argue, and he was really good at it, and he could argue either side. And there was really no stopping him. Um, he had evidence for both sides of the argument. And when he you know, wanted to kind of argue with us as kids and get us riled up, he was really, really good at it. And when I think back about it, sometimes he made me so mad. But the thing I remember was the importance of evidence. And wanted to engage in this, an argument didn't have to be a fight. Um, but it did have to be a discussion and there had to be discourse and it really had to illuminate both sides of an issue. And so my question for the three of you is, why does argument writing matter? Why is it important today? Oh man, Michelle, thinking about that example from your dad is, is just so great because um, as you noted, argumentation so much bigger than arguing for argument's sake um, in that sort of he said, she said format, the loudest voice doesn't win. Um, rather, argumentation is really about creating that logical line of reasoning to get your point across and certainly to have an impact on someone else's thinking. We make arguments to inform to explore ideas, to make decisions. The truth is that arguments are everywhere and it's important for us to be aware of that and really even the ways we're inundated by large and small arguments all day long, from news advertisements to the clothes we wear to the groups we join, they all make nuanced, sometimes unspoken arguments about who we are. An argument can be any text. It can be written, spoken, or visual that expresses a point of view. Neil Postman calls argumentation the soul of an education. And it's really at our core that we ask ourselves some, some big questions that once we've engaged in an argument, how is that leading to transformational change? How can I engage in civic discourse? How can I learn from others willing to have my perspective changed and expanded? So mm -hmm. just really going after those big ideas. All right. So Annie, you said a couple of things that just really should be like on those Googleable quotes. Um, the soul of an education, transformational change. That just seems like just such a different stance, like really being able to explore ideas. I'm also really excited to hear more about the ways in which all of you are thinking about text, because I hadn't really thought about how our clothes can be an argument or how we see arguments throughout throughout the world. 
It's really interesting. So what else? Why else do arguments matter? Stevie, what are you thinking? Well, I was just thinking about what you said about text. And I know that we bring in advertisements that Annie talked about. And we have, uh, we think about what's the argument that's being made. But there's also paintings, bringing in any kind of a visual image, thinking about spoken word poetry. You know, so along with um, helping students understand that, that argument lives and breathes in the world, and there are ways to engage in it. That engagement in the process of arguing also builds a writer's identity. And this is something that we're really going after. We want our students to walk out of our classrooms knowing that they are writers, that they can make a difference in the world. And argumentation actually positions you to make a difference um, in the world. It positions you to understand the arguments that are out there. And we want students to see that as a part of who in the world they are. We don't want them to think, you know, so I'm making this argument for the class for a grade. I'm not just about complying, but I'm really about a person who can think about both perspectives or multiple perspectives. I'm a person who can craft a claim. I'm a person who can um, think about evidence and think about it flexibly. You know, now, when, when I think about writer's identity, I also think about my grandson. My grandson's out of school. In school, he played soccer. But part of his identity is that of a soccer player. He has no questions about it. And as a result, he, go, he gathers friends together to go play soccer. With that. That's who he is. I want our kids to have the same reaction. You know, to feel as though... Arguing and writing are things that they can do in and out of school and for life. I love that, Stevie. It's so interesting to think about empowerment because we really you know, just, it, it's not about fighting. It's really about empowering no. and making a difference in the world, multiple perspectives, flexible thinking. So, Elisa, what are you thinking? You know, why, why does argument writing matter to you? Why does it matter to your kiddos? Oh my gosh, just even hearing Annie and Stevie talk about writer identity and how argument can transform um, and the relationship it has to civic discourse and how we show up in our spaces with one another. I think about how argument has the ability to create community uh, among learners and teacher included. I think of Gallagher and Kitt uh, Penny Kittle or Kelly Gallagher and Penny Kittle's quote, and I use it quite often when I'm thinking about argument as a teacher. I'm just going to read it out loud real quickly. It just says, they both say, argument is the primary skill essential to our success as citizens, students, and workers. As such, we believe argumentation should be woven into every classroom, into every subject, into every grade level, into every school year. Teaching students the conventions of argument helps them develop a schema foundational to being critical thinkers. And when I think about that as a teacher, I think about the critical thinking skill that is so important and essential for students to show up in the world and be active citizens, to care about a topic, to care about their world and how they fit into it. And that is where I see that high engagement. And something that, you know, we have to argue about something that's provocative, that we care about, uh, that's going to get us up in the in the morning to get us to that classroom, to be among learners in a community, to create some shared meaning. 
And I have seen that happen. I witnessed that. I, I try to engineer it and orchestrate it. And uh, it is really, really important. And it's really in everything we do. It, just like Stevie said, it shows up in every type of text. Wow. And that idea around engagement, I love the idea of like thinking about getting us up in the morning, right? Like if kids are excited to get to school or, you know, jump into their Zoom school, whatever it might be, and, and to really engage in that research and deep understanding and listening to one another so that they can fully explore an issue is engaging. Yeah. And provocative. Yeah. I and mean, like you said, giving them something interesting to think about. Yeah, it has to, right? Because we're not we're not going to necessarily show up and argue something that we don't feel invested in. Right. Right? It's got to be something that is it's at our core. It's speaking to us in our soul. And that speaks back to what Annie said earlier is that it's the soul of an education. Well, how is their soul showing up? Right? How is their soul showing up in relationship to an argument that they're involved in or connected to? Mm -hmm. Wow. So, what a great segue into teaching talking about teaching argument. I mean, the three of you have just laid out such a compelling argument for the importance of teaching argument. Um, I want to really dive into the teacher perspective, and I want to really think about instructional strategies. So which instructional strategies need to be in place for argument writing to flourish? Because the type of argument and the type of argument writing that the three of you have already can laid out is a lot different than um, an assigned piece that doesn't have a lot of connection or relevancy to students. And so what needs to happen in terms of instruction in order for students to be highly engaged and for their writing to really flourish and grow? Yeah, that's a, that's a big one, Michelle, that Stevie and Elisa and I have really slowed down and thought a lot about. We start with this idea of mentoring the thinker, mm. really the whole thinking process, slowing down that process. And when, when we explore that, we play around with three key areas. One is really about studying evidence before landing on a claim. That sounds so just basic and obvious, but frequently people fall in love with their claim. They want to <laughs> like stand <laughs> on the hill and die for that claim when they haven't got the evidence to back it up. So we spend, we do, we, we really slow down and think about gathering a lot of evidence, thinking about who's our audience, what's our purpose, how do we choose the best evidence? Is our evidence credible? What's the source? Um, so, so that's a, a big part. And the other aspect, which is true for any idea of an argument, is there are multiple perspectives and that chance to think about counterclaim and honestly welcoming the opportunity to entertain and explore other positions. Um, Ellen Keene talked about the idea of perspective bending. I just mm -hmm. love that language around having your perspective bent as you listen and learn from someone else 
and sometimes have that aha moment of, wow, wait a minute, that idea is so much better than my own. Um, I'm going to change. I'm going to change my thinking. Um, because that's, that's as much of an argument as anything else is that our thinking grows and, and changes. Um, and then the third component is really the power of discourse. There is a quote that we always use in our writing seminar from William Britton, this idea that writing floats in a sea of talk. Oh. And just that, that importance of discourse and the opportunity to make a lot of small arguments, just try them on before digging into those longer, more complex arguments. And we have fun doing it. Um, just exploring all of those just flexible ways of going after it um, through uh, things like structured controversy, um, where students have the chance to really think through different sides of the counterclaim and, and try those on and see how that works um, through pop-up debates um, where honestly pop up and talk about your thinking um, and hear other people's ideas and even things like philosophical chairs. So just using those discourse structures before going into writing arguments, um, just experiencing that flow. And again, that logical through line of reasoning um, and just exploring perspective and listening to learn. Wow. So Annie, three things really to consider, really studying the evidence, engage in some perspective bending, see the issue from multiple perspectives, and number three, find some time to talk about it in different ways, really engage in discourse. So when I'm thinking about argument or, or even opinion writing, and I'm thinking about, you know, K-12 application, I feel like little writers can do this too. You bet. That is just so important to think about mm -hmm. um, across the board, uh, K-12 and um Man, those kindergartners have some serious opinions and they yes, want they to do. hear them. <laughs> it's, it's the best. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so we're thinking about studying evidence, this whole idea of multiple perspectives, perspective blending, bending, counterclaims, and discourse as some instructional moves we can make. Stevie, what else do we need to think about when we're thinking about teaching argumentation? I know you do a lot of work with students, but also as adults. I mean, your work with the Colorado Writing Project um, has helped so many adult writers find their voices, and your work in classrooms has helped so many students find their voices. What else do you want to add to this instructional side? Uh, the one concept that I really want to just make sure that people think about all the time is that concept of authenticity. Now, authenticity is really thrown around a lot. Yes. And so I want to talk about what it is that we think about in terms of it. You know, so authenticity means that it's authentic to the student. 
and I know Elisa and also you, Michelle, made reference to that, you know, when you talked about relevancy, mm-hmm. um, when Elisa talked about having kids argue about something that they care about, this is important for us. So, you know, choices there that that topic has to be authentic. Now, we've been in classes in which we've seen students um, arguing silly things that they don't care about at all. You know, for example, um, in elementary school, which recipe for chocolate ch- cookies um, is the best one? Well, you take an elementary kiddo, they want to eat them. You know, they don't care about the recipe. I'm sorry, but they don't care about it at all. So, you know, the topic has to be something that's meaningful, that's rich, that a kiddo wants to get in there and dig around in and spend time with, you know, really linger to it. So, of course, choice is um, critical there. But there's also something that about authenticity where it's authentic to the world, to the world outside of school, that whatever it is that we're thinking about um, exists in the world beyond the the school walls. <clears throat> uh, excuse me. So, so one of the things that we think about is what what kind of writing are they going to be doing, or what kind of text are they going to be producing, and that text has to pass. You know, um, I don't even remember where in the world I stole this from, but it has to pass the Barnes and Noble test. You know, so can I walk into a bookstore? Can I walk into my favorite bookstore, Tattered Cover, and go find that? And if not, why am I wasting time in terms of teaching it? So we we want students to see um, op-eds or columns um, where they can really get in there and that they can study it. We want them to look at real live position papers. We want them to look at reviews that are arguments. So we're going after authentic text that the kids can study and that the kids can also produce. We're even thinking about such things as TED Talks. I mean, that's certainly something that's influential in the world and something that can study, that they can study. And that's the fun of using that mentor text is that they can use that text to see how people really do craft an argument. They can study um, a Leonard Pitt uh, column, for example, and figure out organization because he doesn't have that formulaic approach to organization. Um, But he has a claim. It may not be in the first paragraph. It may be in the title, but it's there and you know it. Uh, he has lots of evidence, and we know that, uh, you know, as, as Annie talked about, evidence is critical. But look at how he organizes it. Look at how he just clinches that argument at the very end. So kids can learn about voice. How do you think about an audience? How do you think about the voice that's going to engage your particular audience? And when is the voice you're working with the wrong voice in order mm-hmm. to achieve your particular purpose with that audience? We can look at uh, mentor text, that authentic text that lives in the world and study craft, you know, and figure out just kind of cool ways that we can really impact um, the reader, you know, because truthfully, argument is about impacting the reader. We have to think about what, who is this reader, and how am I going to convince them that my position is the strongest one? You know, students can even study uh, conventions. 
we mm. we've spent some time looking at how in the world could you use a colon in order to strengthen your argument? You know, so that ends up being absolutely fun. It's so much better than doing a worksheet on it or just generating the rules. You know, but this authentic text provides such an opportunity for kids to study the work that exists in the world outside of school and to build that writer's identity. So there's there's also the notion in terms of authenticity, not only that the kid cares about it, not only that it, they produce a text that exists in the world outside of school, but it's also that there's a real audience. You know, too often students only write to us as teachers. Mm-hmm. Or they have imaginary audiences. So why in the world would we not have them really think about impacting the world and sending their writing out into the world? The Learning Network, for example, um, with New York Times, has an editorial contest that is powerful. It's powerful. Why not send kids there? Why not have them write to a local newspaper? Whatever. But we want authentic audiences along with authentic topics and authentic text that they're producing. So that's another big piece, Michelle. Wow, it's huge though. But like, Stephen, when you think about that idea of authenticity, I mean, you just laid out this beautiful framework for inquiry that if we want argument writing to be authentic, then kids need an opportunity to figure things out. They need to have topics that are relevant for them. There needs to be that element of choice. They need to be able to explore mentor text. And like you said, there's so many areas of craft and so many of those quote unquote writing standards that we can explore and understand and teach, if you will, through mentor text. And then the idea of audience, right? Like yep. who's actually going to read this? Yep. And I think that's huge. So my question then is for, you know, Elisa, thinking about kids and thinking about students, Annie laid out, you know, this beautiful framework for mentoring the thinker with studying evidence, perspective bending and discourse. Stevie just laid out this beautiful framework for authenticity with topic and choice, using mentor text and having authentic audience. My question for you is kind of the so what, how does this type of instruction impact kids or students? Michelle, that's a great question. And I would start with the idea or the the imperative that students want to be seen and heard. Wow. And how is it we create an inclusive community where that happens? And argument is a point of entry uh, into a community that can be cultivated in such a way where students' stories matter Mm. and they can argue with their narrative voice. And I think about a lot about how I layer texts and pair texts in my classroom and the way that that allows for students' perspectives to bend. It allows us to all take a moment to create some shared meaning. And that goes back to that inclusivity, please, too, inclusive environment of, of art, of readers and writers. How is it that we are all looking at a text and we're coming to some meaning together? And then how is it that we then can take that meaning that we co-construct and start to consider how might that help me in my own argument? How might that show up in in what it is that I'm passionate about or eager to create an argument around whatever topic that might be? But I think it allows us as a community of learners to just stop and pause for a moment Uh and ask ourselves, you know, what do we care about? 
what do we 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 want to think more deeply about? And when I think about classroom instruction, I think about that shared meaning. And I think about that idea of shared ownership. And how is it that argument can help support that climate and that 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 conversation that exists in a classroom when we're all engaging in a topic or a discussion or discourse, what have you. And then I, you know, think about that intentionality as a writer, Stevie talked about, Mm -hmm. about how is it that we're looking at um, mentor texts in such a way that is helping us as as readers and writers and thinkers and communicators. uh, And as as we develop our own argument, and that it shapes the the way that we go about that our line of reasoning, the evidence that we use, the craft that we're we're choosing from or thinking, tweaking, right? And within our within our own writing. And man, I just stop and think like if we're not arguing about something that's worthy of our time, it's not that is that's not that if we're if we're not arguing about something that's worthy of our time or provocative in nature or cradled in something big, uh-huh. right? Cradled in something important and um to us, then we aren't going to transfer that out into our own lives. And that's the key. It's that critical thinking piece of how is it that I can engage in thoughtful discourse as a human being 10 years from now, right? What, what, what am I going to carry with me so that I can have a voice in this society of ours and I can impact and make change. And I think of our students today, they're future makers, right? They're change agents. And how are we as teachers supporting that? And helping to build that, and and really, I you know I've been reading a lot about I've been reading a lot of Isabel Wilkerson's text and uh, a lot of her work, and she uses narrative nonfiction. Mm-hmm. That's her that's her that's her jam, right? <laughs> so, how is it that that we're using our narrative voices? And I, I think a lot about that. How does narrative fit into um, argumentation? And that speaks to what Stevie and Annie have said: is that argument is in everything. Right. And it's intertwined. So, wow. So I hear the energy coming from you and your heart and your mind. And I think about the times when I've had the opportunity to visit your classroom and something that I'm inferring from what you just shared is like the impact on kids is kids want to be seen and heard regardless if they're five or 15 or 25 or 50. For sure. Everyone wants to be seen and be heard and that we want to engage as a community that getting smarter as a community doesn't mean we all have the same answer or the same perspective, but we grow and change and develop as a community. And that's what leads to the high enjoyment and like a high enjoyment, high engagement, which then allows us to transfer these skills from that day forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's about that transformative change that Annie spoke Mm -hmm. about earlier. Yeah, absolutely. So as we come to the end of our time together, you know, having this conversation with the three of you completely illuminates the importance of argument and teaching argumentation. What are your hopes forever after for students? Oh my gosh, Michelle, what a question. What a question. Okay, so I, I think I have three hopes. And if I thought a little bit longer, there'd probably be more than that. But one of them is I think about power. Um, I want our students not to just feel empowered, but to have power. 
you know, you really can't empower somebody else, but they have to have that opportunity to know that their voice matters. Um, it's very much what Elisa and Annie were talking about, that their voice makes a difference in the world. I also think about empathy, that as weird as it sounds, especially with what you talked about at the very beginning with those weird definitions that are out there. Yes. Uh, yeah. So argumentation, when it's done well, should really enhance empathy so that when we understand multiple perspectives, that we start not pushing back against, but considering and um just having empathy for a perspective that's very different from ours. I think about also wisdom. That's a big hope that I want from my students. And wisdom means or requires, as Annie talked about, that slowing down, that pondering, that not jumping to a claim immediately, but just slowing down and thinking about it, that asking questions, probing to understand, listening hard. So my hope for kiddos, power, empathy, and wisdom. Hmm. Stevie, thank you so much. How about you, Annie? What are your hopes for kids? Oh, man, I so agree with everything Stevie just said. <laughs> I just, oh, it's, you know, talking about argument and listening to Stevie and Elisa and just how important it is for all of us, for students, for teachers to, to find our voices and to really think about the ways we can communicate our ideas, to reach an audience, to have an impact. I love thinking about that idea of connection and community that Elisa creates in her classroom and that, that sense of belonging. Um, through through writing, through learning, through listening. That other piece for me is about being critical consumers of the arguments that are coming at us as well. And just noticing and naming what is the claim? What is that reasoning? What's their evidence? And what are some counterclaims? So um, just that level of awareness that arguments really are everywhere. We're inundated with them. Absolutely. And for Elisa, for you, what are your hopes forever after for kids? Being able, I, I think, well, I think when I consider that question, I consider the complexity of our, our world today. Right. And and the, com the complexity in nature where students have to be able to navigate that as critical thinkers. And so my hope would be that as they engage in argumentation, that they begin to read their world deeply um, on, and, and just really being able to question, to create the questions, to have a line of inquiry and to be able to feel as though they're fully participating in the, the topics and the discussions that they might be involved in or that our society is considering or thinking about. And so I agree with everything <laughs> that Stevie and Annie also said, um, but it's around that, that wisdom for me as is where, how is it that, you know, you are going to engage in a more thoughtful way. And I also think so much about their ability, students' ability to consider when it is that they're getting duped 
right? And and when is it that they're really looking at the difference between fact and fiction? So as we wrap up today, I want to thank all three of you for opening your hearts and your minds and just that vault of experiences that you have all curated over time. Um, I know that a lot of our listeners have probably grab their journals like I did and have notes all over the place. I have the most beautiful sketch note from today. And I just am so appreciative of the knowledge that you shared and the the real practical suggestions for really fostering classroom communities and instructional practices that allow students to find their voice, understand the perspectives of others, and to have that wisdom to understand which arguments that they're being presented with, either consciously or unconsciously. I know that um, this is a passion area for the three of you. And at the PEBC, um, coming up soon is a writing institute. And I know that you know it's, it's held at the PEBC every year. And so if anyone's interested in learning more about argument writing, I hope that they'll check out some of your work because it really is beautiful and phenomenal. And just want to thank all of you very much for your time today. Uh, thank you, Michelle. This is fun. It's a, it is a topic that we're all passionate about. So thank you for giving us the time and the space to have this conversation. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. I hope our time together bolstered your agency and understanding. I would like to thank our sponsor, Pinnacle Assurance is Colorado's leading workers' compensation provider. For over 100 years, they've been at the forefront of protecting, understanding, and caring for workers and local businesses with trusted coverage and expert safety resources and services. The ways we work will undoubtedly evolve, but the need for worker protection always remains the same. In closing, PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, and works both locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding, as described in Wendy Wardhofer's newest book, Phenomenal Teaching. PEBC provides customized, on-site professional development and coaching for schools and districts, facilitates a variety of institutes and seminars, and offers an array of online learning experiences for all educators. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. 